Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. And the philosophy of our podcast is that in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. And as part of making a positive impact, it's no mystery that focusing on the customer is a key factor in establishing long-term competitive advantage. And as author Kevin Sturtz has pointed out, it's critical to know what your customers want most and what your company does best, and then focus on where those two meet. But in the world of product and solutions development, sometimes getting to that intersection can create tension. Trying to find the balance between fully satisfying everything the customer wants and the need to make disciplined choices when financial and people resources aren't unlimited. We're going to explore how to navigate through this today with an expert in product development and business leadership, John Trainer. John has a extensive leadership background in technology. Currently, he is vice president and general manager at Tensor IoT. He leads the creation of products and solutions that simplify the way enterprises incorporate equipment and IoT edge devices to acquire data and subsequently transform that data into very actionable insights that improve business operations. Other leadership roles John has had, he was chief executive at Freepoint Technologies, where he's responsible for global growth, financing, the product portfolio, and business strategy. John was also chief operating officer at C-Labs Corporation, where again, he had very broad responsibilities over sales, marketing, product management, and uh, the whole solutions portfolio. John has also been a senior leader at B-Square Corporation, leading product development and solution development. He was also a vice president of business products at Palm, later acquired by HP. And prior to that, John spent 16 years at, uh, well, a company I think you've heard of, Microsoft, including leadership roles in the mobile and embedded devices group. So John has this extensive perspective across a number of different global companies, which will be perfect for the conversation. John has also lived in a number of different companies, so our countries. He's had a real global perspective everywhere from New Zealand to Ireland to Canada and then here in the U.S. And he's also an accomplished author. He's a contributed uh, in terms of a new book on industrial automation that uh, is being released by Vogel Business Media. And he's also written multiple articles for technology publications, currently focusing on industrial IoT and Industry 4.0. So with that as an introduction, John, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Oh, thanks very much, Dan. It's great to be here. I enjoy the uh, podcast and looking forward to our discussion today. So, John, you've spent your entire career in technology, both in some startup emerging companies, but also for large global brands. I'm curious, what has fueled your passion to take that path and 
How have you seen technology innovation change how product organizations have evolved over time? Yeah, you really have to go back a long way to understand my start in technology. Um, when I was a young teenager, and you know, this is the late 1970s, uh, the junior high school I was at had the uh, a Wang 2200 uh, computer, uh, one terminal, one optical card reader, one printer, and one eight-inch floppy drive, a, a basic language interpreter, and a, and. 8K of RAM, although now that I say that, it might have only been 4K of RAM. Uh, but, but nevertheless, you know, I was really hooked. Uh, I suddenly saw that, you know, e even as a teenager, it was possible to create new value in software to, to solve problems in interesting ways and to make things easier for people. So I just started solving problems. Uh, it started with alphabetizing class lists at the school, and then it moved on to building inventory control systems for, for small businesses and report writing and, and all sorts of different things. And you know, with, with each step, um, that ability to help ease a burden for others, to make things simpler, to make things more enjoyable, that's what got me excited about that. And, and when I look at all of the roles that I've had, um, so much of it has been about, is there a way to make things simpler uh, for somebody else? Sometimes that's by bringing a product to market. Uh, you know, sometimes that's for marshalling the resources and making them available to to teams of people so they could be successful. Um, but, you know, I've, I've had the privilege to work in a, in a variety of different roles. Um, and it's there's always something that is related to technology. There's lots of things I, I probably couldn't do because, I, I you know, if it's not technology, it's not something that lights a fire for me particularly, but if it's about helping people and making things better, then uh, I get very, very excited about that. And, you know, over time, I would say, yes, there's been this long arc of technology that, you know, the technology we have today is a far cry from what was available in the 70s and 80s uh, as I was growing up. But there's always new ways to find uses for technology to uh, apply that to, uh, to to different areas and to see is there you know is there just another way we can help make something easier for somebody is there is there a problem that somebody has today that we can solve or is there is there a way to bring something to to market to to perhaps meet a need uh, that that people didn't even know they had um, but to really sort of solve a problem in a new and unique way. Right. And as the tools and the systems have evolved, that certainly has got to reshape and reframe how teams and, and, and strategic planning works in terms of setting expectations over speed of delivery, right? Just the rate of, of having to enhance and evolve, right? What you do deliver to help solve those problems. You know, that's true. And actually, one of the things that I think is interesting is that that has perhaps both some positive benefits, of course, but also sometimes some downsides, the degree to which we can quickly communicate with one another and collaborate on things certainly can make our problem solving as a, as a collective group much better. But sometimes it gets people away from being able to make decisions on their own. People start to be actually afraid to make a decision by themselves because they think they need to check in with everybody yeah. else. Uh, you know, if I think back to, uh, you know, say, you know, a century ago, 
if if somebody started on a long voyage to go trade with somebody in a far off land, uh, perhaps their voyage had been sponsored by somebody else who was you know paying for the boat and the crew and and everything yes. else, and they desired a particular commodity. Well, if you got to the this faraway land and that commodity or thing wasn't available, you you couldn't send them an email. <laughs> you know, you, you <laughs> yeah. couldn't hop on a quick you know uh, uh, um, Slack conversation and say, hey, what 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 should I get instead? You, you really had to make your own decision. And I think sometimes we've lost some of that, the uh, the desire or the willingness or the ability to make decisions independently. So, you know, I always encourage people to like, it is great to check in with others. It, it You know, certainly two heads are better than one in many cases. But there's also times where we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that we have to make decisions, uh, you know, by ourselves. And I think, you know... Some of the things that we might talk about today is that some people struggle with being able yeah. to to make decisions and and you know reduce the sort of the set of things that they they have to deal with and you know that's that's something I've I've certainly learned myself over these past few decades. Yeah, accountability and ownership is something that really doesn't change, and and maybe now more important than ever in the uh, the craziness of the environment that we're dealing with and the disruption right now. So so obviously one of the aspects of leadership, great leadership is decisiveness and being able to help and and make informed decisions. And I want to explore a little bit more with you, John, what were some of the early influences for you in developing your leadership approach that obviously you've been able to uh, execute at across a number of successful organizations? Yeah, well, you know, I would certainly first have to credit my parents um, and, and certainly, you know, my father most clearly in as much as that he was so willing to share uh, his knowledge and wisdom. I can remember many conversations at the dinner table, many nights where he would just talk about what he had encountered day to day managing teams and I'd be able to ask questions, uh, you know, and, and my mother, God rest her soul, she had a great gift for asking very disarming questions that really forced me to find ways, simpler ways to convey ideas. Um, and that was especially true, the, the, you know, as I got older and the more we spoke about, uh, you know, technology, which was certainly something that, that my mother uh, was less familiar with. And, and so, you know, that ability to sort of understand that there's a, a dynamic of teams, it's just, you know, not all about what your ideas mm-hmm. are. And that whatever ideas you have, you have to be able to convey them in a very straightforward and and simple way. Um, And I'm sure I've made many mistakes, but hopefully when there's been success, it's because I've been able to help a a team or an organization understand in, in fairly straightforward and simple terms, you know, what is it we're trying to get done here? What do we want to do? What really is important? Um, and I think especially to enable people to make their own decisions is to give people the heuristics or the rule of thumb to, to say, okay, well, when I, I don't know anything else, what is at least the acid test, the question or set of questions I can ask myself to know whether or not something that's going to be pursued here is aligned with what the the team and the leader wants to do? Because if people can do that independently, that's great. That's less work for, you know, for me as a leader or, you know, for, for the team, because people can work together, they can work individually, um, and they can keep moving things ahead without always having to, you know, to, to check in. 
Um, in fact, I think one of the things as a, as a leader you want to do is work yourself out of a job because you want to create a, a self-managed and self-sustaining team that, that knows how to do all the things that you would want them to be able to do. Yeah, it's a true empowerment, I think, is what you're talking about there. Yes, absolutely. The, the the notion that, you know, people don't always have to check in with the leader and that people can make their own decisions, but it should feel good about doing that as well and, and know what sphere of influence they're responsible for and, and really uh, understand that. You know, one of the things my father taught me was this notion of, of discretion is understanding what are the things that you can do, even if it's something that's not been covered before, or you haven't discussed it or talked about it before, you don't have clear direction on it, but have you, do you, do you feel uh, empowered? Do you actually you know, take that upon yourself and understand what your sphere of influence is so you feel comfortable knowing what you can and can't do by yourself, whether that's a promise to a teammate or, or to a customer. Yeah, I think that's certainly true for any leader, including at the very top of the organization. And John, you've had the opportunity to do something that many of us may never do in our careers, and that's serve as a CEO what were some of the biggest challenges and what have you taken in the way of lessons from the experience you did have being a CEO? Yeah, very good. Well, the first thing, Dan, is I would challenge what you just said. I think everyone, and somebody taught this to me early in my career, everyone always has the opportunity to be CEO of themselves. <laughs> That's that is, that is true. I, yes. You're looking at an interesting way there. Yes. I mean, you know, everyone is responsible for their own, uh, you know, actions. Somebody once explained to me that is you are able to respond. You can decide what you want to do in any particular station. There are consequences to your decisions, but, you know, you are in charge of yourself. And so, you know, always be the CEO um, of yourself. I, I think, though, it, when you talk about a larger team or an, or, or an organization, uh, being able to communicate what one wants to do is uh, is a big challenge. And I think that the three things that I've always tried to do and I could take away from my experience, uh, you know, at running a company is you need to have very clear vision uh, you have, to get people pointed in the right direction. It's got to be clear, you know, hey, why are we all coming to work today? What are we trying to get done? Uh, you do need to have the, the right people. And, and that isn't to say that I would ever divide the world into good people and bad people. But you want to have people in the right roles. And so you, you have to look at individuals' gifts and talents and really align those with the task they're, they're trying to do. Now, that's not to say there's a certain type of person for this task or that task, but people need to have the, the skills or the background or the, the training uh, or just the, the aptitude or desire for a particular type of work. Uh, and then I, I guess I'd say the third thing you, you have to take away from you know being a CEO is... Uh, at the end of the day, you're the one person responsible for keeping the business afloat. Um, so, some people say it's lonely at the top. I'm not sure that's necessarily true. Uh, and typically for CEOs in a large enough organization, there's always a board of directors uh, that you report to. So instead of having one boss, you might have, you know, five, six, you know, 10 people uh, that you report to. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you... You know, the uh, the board doesn't fire themselves when things don't work, right? The board <laughs> no. fires the CEO. And so making sure that you are are um, keeping the business afloat is is really critically important. So clear vision, you know, right, right people in the right roles and, and, you know, keeping the cash coming in the door. Yeah, great advice. And 
shifting over what we were talking about at the top of the podcast, where this whole tension or dilemma potentially around customer focus, just thinking about that for a minute, we we hear all the time that being a customer focused company is what can separate winning from losing in highly competitive markets. And you've obviously had to deal with this for a long time in many different organizations. What do you feel have been the most important ingredients when you were ensuring and creating and building a very customer-focused culture? Yeah, I, I think the one thing to keep in mind is that just because you think you know the customer or what the customer wants, that may not be true. So I hear some people saying, "Oh, I'm very customer focused because you know I, I, you know, the customer needs you know this and this and this, and we have to deliver this and this in the product or or do this thing." And sometimes just saying, "How do you know that?" exposes the fact that perhaps we don't have any real insight here. Maybe we just have opinion. Uh, the the sample size of n equals one. Uh, I think that's something that can get lost a lot. Customer focused doesn't mean just spending all your time thinking about the customer, it, it has to be making sure you're seeking to understand that you're actually going out and gathering data, that that you're most importantly empathizing uh, with the customer. So you, you understand the problem they might, might want to solve from their particular perspective. Um, I, you know, I've often realized after the fact that I, you know, I had some knowledge that perhaps a a customer you know didn't, and it was just that knowledge gap that was causing a a challenge in being able to you know uh, understand something that I thought, well, this is how can this how can there be a business here? How can this be a problem that a customer wants to solve? This seems like an easy thing, but you know, if if you don't understand that from the customer's perspective, they don't know that a piece of technology is available to do that or they don't know how to assemble that solution for themselves, or they don't even have the tools to make it work in their particular environment, well, you have a situation where you might have something great to bring to market, but you don't really understand the, the customer. Maybe you're belittling the customer's problem, but you're, you know, you're going to try and sell it to them because you're customer-focused. I think it's important to really step back um, and, and start to understand customers. And also keep in mind that customers are, are individuals. You can make generalizations about segments of the market mm-hmm. um, in particular regions, but that doesn't mean that you, you know, every customer is the same or that you can treat uh, all customers the, uh, uh, you know, the same. So I, I think seeking to understand is a, a great first step in being a truly customer fo- focused organization. And so let's assume a company is doing all the right things in terms of seeking that understanding and confirming and and really truly being able to get that that customer input and, and sense of the needs. But knowing that, that might be a really long list of things. In fact, it often is a really long list of things. So back what we were talking about earlier of this potential dilemma or this the tension, which is companies always have to make tough prioritization choices because resources are never unlimited. And you've spoken before about the importance of being able to say no. What's that all about? Yeah, I think you know one of the big things I've learned is you have to be able to say no. Um, 
And that might mean no with options. And we can talk a little bit about that. But at, at a certain point, you have to be able to, to, to say no. Um, I, you know, when I was uh, doing my MBA um, in Toronto, uh, one of the things that really that I learned that, that's, you know, um, stuck with me, which was a quote from Peter Drucker, was that the most important decisions managers face are abandonment decisions. You know, what are you not going to do um, so you you can do it um, other ways? Um, you know, Arno um, Penzias, um, the uh, scientist who was responsible for discovering cosmic microwave background radiation, um, had a, a lot of interesting things to say about uh, you know, the problem of sometimes, you know, smart people who are interested in in lots of things. And, you know, he would talk about people saying, yeah, I'm, you know, you can be interested in that. You can be interested in this other thing. And and he said, personally, he was interested in a great number of things. But really, the important thing was to be able to focus and say, you know, this is what I'm not going to work on. Uh, you know, here, here's a research project that, you know, might have been interesting to him, but he was not going to work on it. He said a lot of smart people just can't decide what they're not going to uh, to work on, uh, they just they, they can't say no, and so you know learning to say no is important. And I think a way to turn that around is to really understand that in order to ensure your success, you have to decide you know what not to do. You know what have you decided not to do in order to ensure your success is incredibly important. Yeah, and it just sometimes culturally in organizations that really aim to please, sometimes it just seems uh, to run against the grain in terms of just the inclination to want to deliver everything. And so have you found there specific tools or, or processes that kind of helped maybe in organizations you've been in where that was a struggle to kind of help get over the hump to where saying no, making those right choices just seemed a little bit easier? Well, I, I, no, I, I, I think you just have to stick at it and realize that it's it's so important to be able to do that. Uh, I do remember a, an executive who used to talk about, you know, the tyranny of or, uh, you know, being told that we have to do, you know, this or that. And you know, his retort was, I want to do this and that. I want to do them both. I want to do them all. And, and I think it's, you know, it's fine to have great aspirations to be able to do uh, a number of things. Perhaps one trick I've, I've learned in that situation is to say, okay, great. Those are all really good things. We can do them all. Let's agree what order we're going to do them in so that we can focus on number one. And when we finish number one, we can focus on number two and, and then so on down the, the list. Um, you know, one team I, I've worked with recently uh, used to hear me say a lot, Hey, that's great, but it's number eleven on our top ten list, um, which was, you know, my way of saying th these are fantastic ideas. But if they uh, distract us from our priorities, we're just not going to be successful. And when I look back at my own career, Dan, um, anytime I've been disappointed with with a uh, you know performance review or something I was able to get done in a particular period of time. Every time it, it didn't go as I expected. When I look back, I had listed too many goals and objectives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, yep. You know, and when I think about the times I've been most successful and advanced in my career or got great things done in a business, it's when there's been just a very, very small number uh, of goals and objectives. 
Um, and yet they were big and in, in significant uh, goals, but there was a few of them. So I was able to you know, concentrate and focus. And, and I think it's so important to recognize that you, you have to be able to do a few things well, rather than doing a bunch of stuff in a mediocre fashion. And, and maybe to tie it back to what we were talking about earlier in customer focus, no customer wants to buy a bunch of stuff that's mediocre. Customers would be far more satisfied with things that do uh, just, you know, maybe one or two things or a few number of things, but do them incredibly well. And, and I, I, you know, bringing simplicity to a product and, and really understanding what a customer wants to do and then bringing them only that and, you know, hiding away all of the distracting thing, stuff, all the, the complex stuff. Um, it just, it, it, you know, you, you, I see founders who are trying to, you know, sort of, you know, pitch to, uh, to venture capitalists and others. And they want to say about all of the fantastic things that, you know, their product's going to do or their company is going to do or this new technology is going to do. Uh, people get lost in that, you know, as do customers. You, you have to be able to say, here is the, the one or two. Here are the few things we're going to do incredibly well. And, and, you know, and, you know, it's so liberating to make that decision because once you've decided what not to do, you can now really throw all of your time and attention into the few things that you are going to do well. Right. Right. And, and really the focus around excellence and uh, quality over quantity, right. Which is the cliche, but, but it's so true uh, in terms of ultimately what you're delivering uh, and the benefits of, of that greater focus. And I'm curious because you have, led from a global perspective you've you've lived in in different locales around the world do you think serving a global customer base adds complexity in trying to go through and make those decisions or what are your thoughts on how to best approach it when you have very diverse cultural or market considerations too that feed into that prioritization yeah there's a, a couple of ways to approach it you know the the first is to m- make sure that you're at a stage in your business or with your product where you actually should be going after a global market. Sometimes it can be important to first decide where you're going to focus, maybe geographically, or what segment you're going to focus on or what need you're going to fill, and do a great job of addressing that before moving out to other areas. Um, Now, certainly in business, you can always be opportunistic. And if somebody... from halfway around the world has heard about your product and calls up and wants to talk about it. Well, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Um, and you should always take those phone calls from customers, but that's different from deciding, Hey, um, I'm not even really successful, you know, say here in North America, but I'm definitely going to go and go tap the market in, uh, in Asia. Now, I think it, wherever you are in the world, be successful in your local market first. Uh, if you can't be successful in your local market, you're certainly not going to be successful in a, in, in a global market. And whether it's you know local or, or expanding globally, first of all, we're just realizing that you have to continue to meet customer needs. You know, everyone's everyone customers are human. Um, they have needs that may be met. Those might be different in in different markets. Um, and you certainly have to have you know uh, approach that. Um, you you can't assume, of course, that the things you might know that the. the Perhaps the the stereotypes you may have learned about a particular market or a culture. Uh, oh, you know, all automotive manufacturers do things this way. Uh, all companies in Korea do things this way. Um, all of the you know mining operations in you know South America you know run this way. 
Um, those are probably not true. They might be helpful heuristics to start to get you focused in the right direction. But back to what we said earlier about being customer focused, you have to be able to be empathetic. You have to really seek yeah. to understand the customer and, and, and bring that out. And then, you know, I, I go back to, to um, something that uh, David Kelly, um, the founder of uh, Idio, said that, you know, enlightened trial and error outperforms the planning of flawless execution. And so you can't just sort of pick up your your product today and say, hey, we're going to go serve a new market with the same product and we're just going to do our marketing in a little different way or whatever the case may be. There may be some real things in the product that have to be different. And you just have to think about that as another customer segment you're going after. So whether it's a different geography or a different industry, in either case, you need to understand that target customer as well as you understood your first customer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. And we're talking about this more disciplined approach and prioritization. What do you feel the role of measurement and analytics plays in all of that? I think like having process, uh, you should have just enough measurement and analytics. Sometimes people can be a, a slave to the data uh, and and look at things and forget that there is a, a set of customers or there is a business behind the numbers. Um, and so, yes, certainly if you've brought a product to market, you think you're doing all the right things and nobody's buying it, um, you know, that's an important measurement to have and tells you you might have something wrong either with the product or the way you're bringing it to market, the way you're presenting it uh, or, or whatever the, the case is. Um, and I think it's 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 good to have goals that you can actually uh, measure. Um, I, I've often said if you can't measure it, you, you can't manage it. And that doesn't mean you should overdo things by having a metric for everything. But if you don't fundamentally understand what some of the, the things that will drive particular measurements, whether that's uh, you can start with revenue, that, that can just start even with, with units sold. Um, if, if you're in a startup and you're pre-revenue and you just want to get experience from users, maybe it's the number of active users, the number of engaged users. So it is very important to establish metrics that fit the stage uh, of your business. Um, and, you know, if you're a large enough uh, business, I certainly remember getting to a point at Microsoft where you could have a great idea for a new product, but if it wasn't quickly going to be a hundred million and then a billion dollar business, it probably wasn't something that Microsoft could uh, could take on at that uh, at that point in time. Um, so knowing what the the metrics inside your organization are too helps you bring an idea um, forward, bring a product forward, bring a, a new business direction forward in in a way that makes sense. You know, people are very fond of dashboards and 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 numbers and measurements. I would say get it down to a the the smallest number of metrics possible that really give you insight into what's happening in your business or with your product or, or with your customers. And then, you know, maybe that's units, maybe that's, uh, you know, dollars in revenue, uh, you know, maybe it's engaged users, uh, wh whatever those numbers happen to be for your particular business, but, but get them down to, uh, to a, a few numbers. And one way to deal with this, again, saying no to having too many numbers is to say, okay, if this number goes up or down, what will I do differently in the business because of that? And is there another number that, you know, one of the other things I've already decided on that's going to give me that same signal or that same information? If so, I don't need this extra number. We can throw it out. So you can get down to the, the few metrics that are going to be most important in your particular business. 
Yeah, I'm so happy to hear you say that, this idea of winnowing down to the, the most important metrics, because I have seen, John, so often teams get literally overwhelmed that they're they're out in pursuit of pulling together anything that is quantifiable, that's even possible out there. And then they just get burdened and, and it almost becomes a, a paralysis, right? Around just having yes. uh, sifting through all of this. And that can be another impediment, right? To making uh, that decision. You can just get bogged down in just too much stuff uh, to try to sort through and, 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 and question, re-question. So yeah, the, 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 kind of that blockage of getting to a decision sometimes is just by the sheer weight of the data. Yeah. And, and another thing to think about is really the, the cost of, of getting that data. Um, you know, I've seen situations where companies had sales organizations and they tasked their sellers with collecting all sorts of information and filling out all sorts of, of reports. And, and, you know, this would get assembled and people would, you know, look at dashboards and, and none of it really mattered. And at the end of the day, the cost to the organization, I, I remember being in a business review uh, with an executive once and said, I know you asked us to fill out this page with all of these numbers and all of these metrics. But in fairness to you, I want you to understand that none of these are the metrics we use to manage the business uh, in, in our local geography. So Either I'm managing my business the wrong way and you should school me on how to do a better job and use these metrics, or maybe because of the success we're having, the metrics you're talking about here aren't really all that important. But either way, we have a disconnect that we should talk about. Um, you know, I think that raised a few eyebrows around the room when I was when I said that, but I think it's incredibly important to, you know, today as it was back then. Well, you and I will continue the global movement to continue to try to streamline <laughs> the, Absolutely. the amount of data. We're going to keep going on that. And as we start winding down our conversation, John, I'm going to ask you something I've asked several other guests on the podcast. And that is, we're obviously in the midst of a global pandemic with continued uncertainty. There's a lot of business disruption uh, that we're all facing. But through all of that, what still makes you optimistic when you think about the future? First of all, Dan, I think it's great that you presume that I'm optimistic, and, and certainly I am. So that's good. Hopefully, that's come across. Uh, you and I have known each other for uh, for some yes. time. Uh, I, I well, you know, it goes back to something I talked about almost at the top of our uh, conversation here, which is that um, I see, you know, myself as a problem solver. I think you know humans are problem solvers, um, and so. You know, and we're not alone in the universe, right? So there's the reason we're here. Um, there's, there's, you know, we have something worth doing, um, and so we can apply ourselves to that. Um, if we ever say, "Oh my goodness, there's nothing to be done," um, I think the world will be in a, in a terrible place. We can say, "This is a very difficult circumstance." It's hard to to know prudentially what's the right thing to do here, but let's keep working and 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 driving at this. And and again, that notion of you know sometimes it's just trial and error. Uh, even in dealing with the pandemic, at, you know, at first we weren't sure how it was spread. We thought, you know, will it be helpful to wear masks? We don't know. Yes, it looks like it is helpful to wear masks. So you know, we learn things. We we solve problems by trial uh, and error. Um, and and because we have that. Uh, you know, God-given ability to do that as as human beings, um, that gives me reason to be very hopeful and optimistic about the future. Because you know, we we will find 
um, a, a vaccine. We will be able to distribute it and deploy it. We will maybe go about our daily lives in, in very different ways you know, going forward, but this is certainly not the first pandemic in human history. This is not the first transition uh, to how things work in, in, the, in the culture and in business. And so, uh, you know, I think because of the, the nature of human beings, uh, you know, we're problem solvers and that gives us reason for optimism. Yeah, that's, that's definitely an encouraging outlook. And the other thing we've pointed out a few times in these various podcast conversations is what history has shown us is some of the greatest innovations and advancements in human history have occurred during times of greatest disruption, right? And stress. So if, if that's a bellwether too, is that by coming together through times like we're facing now that we'll continue to problem solve in new and different ways, things we maybe can't even imagine at this point, but yet the future has all that potential. So John, thanks again for joining and sharing your perspectives on leadership, your perspectives on how to balance customer needs with uh, capabilities and organizations and the need to prioritize and make, make difficult but important decisions uh, for success moving forward. Thanks again. Yeah, you're quite welcome, Dan. It's really been my pleasure. I've enjoyed our conversation. And a reminder to our audience that feedback is really important. If you like this podcast, please go out, rate, and review. You can do that very easily, certainly through Apple Podcasts. Uh, really appreciate it. Encourage you to provide the feedback. And also, as always, make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.